Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Coming to you live from downtown Detroit, this is Benzinga's Pre-Market Prep. With your host, Joel O'Connor. This is a volatile puppy here, isn't it? And Dennis Dick. I've been a penny. I will buy the stock for a penny. With everything you need to start your trading day. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to this Friday edition of Benzinga's Pre-Market Prep. Spencer Israel here with Joel Condon and Dennis Dick on today's show. Uh, earnings on our radar. Uh, John Deere this morning for solar yesterday. Dropbox. We'll get to as many earnings reports as we can. We'll talk Coke and their coronavirus warning. Hasbro is extending their partnership with Disney. Uh, I would like to get to this new pick from Andrew Left at some point today, SDGR. Uh, but we got a lot of guests, a lot of guests on our show. We have an H15 guest. He's Edward Schmoltz, the CEO of Calix Peak. We uh, have a 915 guest uh, who is Christian Shank. He's the CEO of Driven. And we have a 925 guest, Josh Genderson, the CEO of Holistic Industries. And uh, between those guests at 845, we're going to play a recorded interview that we did yesterday with a surprise guest. We surprised Dennis. He didn't know who, who it would be. And uh, we had a nice little chat with the surprise guest. Uh, should I? Tell him who it was. Tell, I'll, I'll tell the listeners who it was. Uh, the guest was Ben Lichtenstein. He, uh, for 25 years, was a ran, ran a squawk service. He is now a host at TDA Network, and we surprised Dennis uh, with that interview yesterday that we're going to play today at 8:45, and so that'll be at the end or towards the end of the show. So as I mentioned, a lot to get to today. Let's jump right in, Joel. What's happening in the overnight session? Uh, big old range overnight, Spencer. Uh, we opened up flat and boom, that was it. 69 and a quarter. That's your pre-market high. That was the close. That, have another close in that area too. So at 32.70 for, for you bulls, uh, we got to get above that level, close above that level today. We went all the way down to 33.45 and then bounce so uh nice range overnight kind of just sitting just above mid-range so holding 33.57 good to go north uh we have crude down 83 cents at 53.05 gold at a seven-year high up 21 dollars and 30 cents at 16.41.30 silver going the same way back uh up 21.1 cents at 18.53 Bitcoin, kind of quiet here, bouncing between 9510 currently up $165 at 9780 So here we are at the end of another trading week. Triple D, are you prepared for Friday's action? I'm prepared because I can see the screens now. I can see the screens. <laughs> I've had these glasses for a little while. They're my computer glasses, so I can see better. But I was like, you know, what? I'm getting to a point where I've got to wear them all the time. So... Welcome. You get to see me with glasses now. So I guess this is what happens, Joel. When you get in your mid-40s, your vision starts to go. Yeah. What's it feel like to be in your mid-80s? Yeah, yeah. I'm just about there knocking on the door. But (laughs) uh, 
I did it. I can't. When did you start wearing glasses? I don't know. I think I was a little bit older. I ate a lot of carrots as a kid. So I, I ate a lot of carrots. <laughs> he made it farther than 43 before he started wearing glasses. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So now we can. This happens. They warned me. They warned me. Eventually, I'll have to wear some reading glasses. So these are my computer glasses. I can what still see pretty good. On 2020 for long vision, it's just the short stuff. It's like on the computer screen. Like you take these off, it's a little fuzzy. You put these on. Oh, it's clearer. It's kind of. What kind works. are they? What kind are they? I don't know. They look fancy. I got generic versions. <laughs> oh, you went to the drugstore? Big lots. I did that for a <laughs> while, and then I don't know who it was in the chat, but they told me that they were re mine were reflecting, and so I went and got some Warby Parkers. Very nice. I'd upgrade get upgrade to Warby Parker, because after I broke like eighty seven pairs of the cheap ones, I went and got a pair of nice ones. But uh, anyways, what are you seeing out there in the market? I'm seeing everything now, like we said. But uh, what I'm seeing is China is up a little bit here this morning. The market's down. So you don't often see that where China's going one direction, the market's going the other direction. And I wonder if it's not to do that, hey, the main headlines might not be from China here this morning. They're more worried about these other countries that are starting to obviously show uh, coronavirus showing up. Iran is saying it could possibly be in every city. Uh, Iran wasn't even on the radar two days ago. And then you have Italy reporting more cases here overnight. And South Korea seems to be the new uh, that everybody's talking about here. Um, another death in South Korea. And then I believe, I'm just trying to get the numbers. Over, I think it was more than 100 new cases, was it not, Spencer? 204 total cases in South Korea. now. I just don't understand why some days... The market seems to care about the virus, and some days it doesn't. So I I'm think it was starting not to care because it didn't seem like it was spreading outside of China. And now we're starting to see some spread outside of China, and the market is getting concerned about that. I believe, you know, obviously there was comments from the World Health Organization, which yeah. may have been a catalyst for the sell-off yesterday. But you get overnight, and you're seeing, okay, well, Italy is starting to get some cases. And South Korea, when you get starting to get over 200 cases, that's significant. Japan uh, seems to get, uh, you know, a dozen more every single day. And now this Iran situation doesn't sound great either. So you're talking about a number of countries um, you know, that are a long ways away from China now starting to have some issues with this. So it's starting to look more like it's going to spread more, uh, at least outside of China, it looks like it's going to spread more. And that's concerning. And this is what I've been concerned about for a long time. This is why I bought some long-term portfolio insurance. This is why I'm, you know, I, I got rid of my pins uh, swing trade. So now I am, the only swing trade along I have right now is Lake, L-A-K-E, and that's the hazmat suit company. Um, because I still think that this thing's going to continue to spread and that stock could perform because of that. I hope I'm wrong. I'm going to continue to say, I hope I'm wrong and I hope they get this thing contained. But the more countries that start to see, you know, infections going up is uh, more uh, concerning for the market for sure. All right. And uh, I guess we can start with uh, Coca-Cola here. Uh, only down. Two Another steps. warning. Yeah. We get a warning from Coca-Cola. Yep, they're out this morning. Well, they reaffirmed their guidance uh, for the year, and, and they said they see a two to three point impact on unit case volume, a one to two point impact on organic sales that equates to a one to two cent impact on their earnings per share in the quarter. But for the year, their guidance is unchanged. This is for the, for the coronavirus. So they're just yep. citing coronavirus again. We saw the same thing with Procter & Gamble yesterday. Procter & Gamble's trained down a little bit pre-market. I was actually trying to buy it, but I could not because I'm like, there's no way they'll hit Procter & Gamble down on this. And um, obviously, you know, they didn't. And it opened up and kept moving up after that. So 
Um, they're shrugging it off. And, uh, when he, and, and is Coke really, you know, ground zero? Like, I still think, and, and Kramer did a good job summing up, but we've been summing up on this show for a while. You know, if you're looking at what stocks are really going to get hit from this, it's obviously the, the stocks that, you know, cruise lines. This is everybody's talking about. And if you see the cruise line stocks here, they are not lifting. Um, we had a nice little bounce there, but RCL is right near the lows. NCLH, not good yesterday, straight down. We've been talking about these stocks for a while. CCL hanging out right near the lows. Full disclosure, I am short CCL. Um, the, these are obviously kind of ground zero because people obviously see what's happened on the Diamond Princess and are probably not going to book their cruises right now, at least until they know the coast is clear. Casino stocks, which have come back i still think even though they're reopening in macau i still think there's going to be concerns about these as well so i don't want to touch any of those either i don't want to own casino stocks and then airlines are the other one that i would be very concerned about i know the airlines have had a little bit of a lift uh in the last uh, couple of weeks but i still think that eventually they're going to start to go down to especially the international carriers uh because i think eventually there's going to be less travel happening so that's my overall concerns, this, those three main areas. And then the overall market. I mean, you know, yes, you can get little warnings from Nike and Apple, but the market seems to shrug those off at least for now. But still concerning is if we continue to get spread outside of China, I can't see how the market holds up. So, you know, and maybe, you know, it just climbs this wall of worry and maybe we get it contained and that's the best case scenario. And we will be substantially higher in the markets if they do get it contained. But until we know we start to see the spread slow down outside of China, and it's not slowing down right now, it's increasing in pace, which is more concerning. And that's why the market is showing weakness the last two days. All right, uh, Coke, not moving off this. Uh, you, you know, you saw Apple open lower and then rally. Uh, let's just take a look at the daily Coke chart. Haven't done that in a while. 60. 60 has been resistance. Yeah, yeah, let's see here. Yeah, we've never been up there. Hmm. Yeah, is there some size uh, sitting up there? Uh, you know what? I have my book open, too. Let's go check it out. We'll quickly give you a little size look here on Coke as I'm trying to bring it up. My computer, my uh, old computer here, because this one's running on a side computer. It's not responding as quickly as I'd like. I'm going to have to replace this computer. Anyways, I'm bringing it up here right now, Joel. So okay, I'm trying to get my, uh, oh, what's going we're on? We're all trying to get our stuff to, Yeah, uh, it's 20,000. There's nothing really in there. So, and that's not surprising because it took it out a couple of days ago. It was above 60. So whatever size was there was probably taken out on that first day when it went through on February 14th. But there's way better stocks to talk about than Coke. Let's so go. yes, it gives a warning, but it's not significant. One to two cents. Who cares? Let's go to Deer. Deer is ripping here this morning. But man, I got to tell you, I don't know who's buying this up at 182 this morning, but that's nuts. So they bought Deer up. And yes, and Spencer, maybe you want to give us the report here right now. Yes, the report is good. But holy cow, in this environment, you're going to buy a stock like Deer up in 182. That's crazy. Uh, earnings per share above estimates, sales above estimates. The EPS of buck sixty-three versus buck twenty-six. Sales seven point six three versus six point four two billion dollars. So, like I said, a beat and a beat for the Q1 numbers. They also reaffirmed their guidance for the fiscal year. There's good construction going on right now. We know the home builders have done very well, so it's not surprising that Deer had a good quarter here. Uh, obviously, you know, the home builders and obviously you know, all the major construction going on around, it's going to be good for Caterpillar and Deer. Um, so I'm not surprised that it blew it away. I'm just surprised that they were ripping it that high this morning. Like somebody really got excited. They thought this was going to pull a Domino's pizza or something where it just continued to go. I don't think that's the case. I think you got major resistance at 180, and I don't think you're even going to see there again. So I don't know if it's a candidate to give it all back, 
but this isn't a stock that I want to buy up 10 bucks to that. Yeah, I hope it was uh, no one that listens to the pre-market prep show that was buying that up at uh, 182 and change. That's crazy. I tried to short it. Um, and I could have had a 180 bid, but I'm sitting out there trying to get the high, you know, like it's two point spreads and I'm trying to offer, trying to offer. And I was like, I should have just hit the 180 because now it's 176 and a half offered. So there was money, there was money to be made there. It was just an overshoot. I'll go overshoot. Jeez, 182.50. 182.50. That's where it got to on that. Uh, what I'll have to say here is, well, the all time high is one seven no it's not one seventy five twenty six. What did we make the all time high at? Uh a little bit more recently. Uh no one eighty forty eight. That was your high. That was your all time high. Use that as resistance. But to me, we're opening into uh that December high at one seventy six fifty eight. So Hold, better hold 176.50 here, or I would see some downside in this one. Open it up right into that monthly high, up 10 and a half sticks. You know, pick your resistance points, all time high, 180.58. What's happening with Morgan Stanley right now? It's ripping. Somebody upgrade it? Let me see. Just now? Yeah, I was trading down in the morning. I mean, we're up 50 cents here on Morgan Stanley right now. Market's down significantly. Morgan Stanley's trading the green. I, I don't know. Maybe it's an upgrade like, uh, or something. Uh, I know James Gorman was on uh, CNBC, so maybe they're maybe Morgan Stanley. So for whatever reason, Morgan Stanley just started ripping here. So just keep an Talking eye. Talking about the synergies between. Is that uh, what they're doing? Is it, is it on CNBC no, right now? No, no. It was earlier, but I just that's my that's my guess. Okay. I don't know. Uh, all right. Uh, it is eight fifteen. I do want to bring on our first guest of the day, Ed Schmaltz. He is the CEO of Calix Peak, and he will be at the Benzinga Cannabis Capital Conference next week. Ed, good morning. Good morning. How are you all? Doing okay. How about yourself? Just right. Thanks. All right, Ed. You have a retail uh, or, or consumer goods and retail background, uh, so I, I want to start off by asking you: What is the biggest difference in uh, retail consumer products and cannabis, as far as a product is, uh, is concerned. Um, I, I think it has to be kind of the the stage of development of the industry. You know, it's the formal retail is brand new uh, in cannabis, um, so you see a lot of retailers still trying to figure it out. Right, stores are often over skewed with too broad an assortment of products. You go back a month later and it's significantly different. So there's not core categories that you would find at a traditional retailer. Um, the store staff training, I think needs broad improvement across the industry. Um, there's a lot of that, not a lot. There's a bit of attitude that you can get if you're a novice coming in. Um, so there's a lot of inconsistency across retail execution in cannabis. And tell us a little bit about what you're gonna be doing at the conference next week. Um, yeah, we went to the one in Chicago um, last fall and uh, found it was a very efficient use of time, right? We get to have focus meetings with the one-on-ones, present to the investment community, um, a chance to spend casual time with uh, our colleagues in the industry. Um, and if I, being based in New England, if I can get outside in the sun for one meeting, I'll take that as a win. Hey, based in Detroit, and I uh, feel you on that. Uh, hear you loud and clear on the Miami thing. Uh, so uh, give us a quick idea. Like what, what is the biggest thing that you're focused on right this year as the CEO of Calix Peak? Um, 
So it's a couple things. Um, we're, uh, if you think about the consumer in, in our markets, and we operate, just quick background, we're in California, Nevada, Ohio, and uh, soon to be in Massachusetts. And then just in the last uh, six weeks, we were awarded five licenses in Missouri. So we're, um, we're excited about that. But as I think about it, I'm looking at um, the consumer market. We're really trying to build out market share in, in what is a very unstable industry right now. Um, introduce new strains and new form factors as that evolves. Um, operationally, we're continuing to focus on efficiency and drive down our, our, our cost of production and make sure we're using our capital efficiently. And then, um, as I just mentioned, uh, new market build-outs. Um, we want to rapidly get product to market in both Massachusetts and Missouri because we've seen the, um, uh, the benefits of, of getting in early, particularly in Missouri, um, and, and securing shelf space and relationships with retailers, um, and most importantly, of course, the relationship with the customer. And uh, based on your past experience here, I see that uh, you've been working in consumer brands, including Patagonia as the COO and FAO Schwartz as the CEO. Uh, you know, what, what have you taken away from, you know, being leaders at those companies? It's uh, translating directly uh, into your current role. You know, I, I think the, the, the simple thing is really um, setting a strong uh, expectation of the brand and that emotional connection with the customer. Um, you know, this is a product you're ingesting through a variety of form factors. So <clears throat> really making sure you have consistent quality over time. So the customer can rely on it, uh, not bringing a product to market until it's been appropriately tested um, in vitro testing to make sure, you know, your, your gummies are homogenized, are, are homogenized so the top part contains the same amount of THC as the bottom part. Um, there's a lot of, of challenges. I spoke to one retailer who said their beverages uh, from one vendor were exploding in their warehouse. Clearly that vendor hadn't done a, a, a appropriate product testing. So I think the industry is, um, uh, has a lot of people just racing product to market uh, without testing it, kind of throwing the spaghetti against the wall and, and seeing what sticks. And um, that's not how we, we're gonna operate. I wanna make sure we, I can scale, that we've got a good quality product, and that I can replicate it over time. There's different aspects to this industry. Um, it seems like there's a lot of growers, um, a lot of supply. Uh, we talked to a gentleman yesterday um, involved in the re retail end, or you know, retail and uh, real estate. And yep. uh, you're in, you're kind of in that too. Improve warehouse logistics and technology in infrastructure uh, at five different companies. What what do you think is the most promising aspect here of you know the marijuana industry? I mean, you look at oversupply and growing. You look at the you know people supplying to the growers and also the potential real estate. Uh, so you know that's the that's the constantly evolving question, isn't it? I mean, sure. a year ago in California, it was everyone was focused on distribution, and now distribution, everyone's trying to get out of it, and um, it, it's kind of viewed as a commodity business. Um, I, I have a little bit of a, um, a contrarian view here. Um, we, we, love, think, we love contrarian we think, views. Oh, you, you got me? Yeah, I said we love contrarian oh, Okay. Um, I, I think cultivation is, is underappreciated. Um, being able to produce high-quality product consistently is hard. 
You got to have good genetics. You have to have a good grow team. You have to have the right equipment. You have to have the right fertigation. And there's a lot of inconsistency uh, around that. Um, the, the kind of smart money says, oh, cultivation will be a commodity. And sure, but look at the wine business, right? Um, tell those people in Napa Valley that they're crazy to grow high-end grapes when Gallo is growing them much cheaper a couple hours away. Um, so I think there'll always be a need for, um, for high-quality cultivation, and those skills um, are important. Um, we're starting to see, finally, um, more traditional finance financing options come to bear. Uh, traditional debt is uh, starting to be available, um, uh, leasing for equipment, uh, things like that. So the finance community, uh, community is finding a way to provide these much needed services to the industry. And I think those early movers are gonna benefit handsomely. Edward Schmoltz is the CEO of Calix Peak, as I mentioned at the top. He will be at the Benzinga Cannabis Capital Conference next week. Ed, looking forward to it and have a good rest of your day. Appreciate the time, thanks a lot. Thanks, All Ed. Right. Take care. Uh, 8.22, let's bring it, bring it back to the earnings parade. We did. Sure. We, uh, we covered deer. Shall we cover? You want to do oh, FSLR? Yeah. Hey. And you know what? This is the stock, the dog of the group. And I wanted to short this yesterday um, going into the print. I was like talking to my buddy. I was like, they always miss. It seems like first. So doesn't it always seem like first solar disappoints? And the, the bar was set so high. Because we knew SEDG blew it away. We knew, and obviously these are different companies, but also uh, Enphase Energy, ENPH, blowing it away. And I'm like, the bar is set high. The stock is run up into the report. And they always find a way to disappoint the street. And I'm like, I want to show it. I want to show it. And I didn't have the guts. And here it is. And it was actually down. It's come off the lows. But at one time, it was under 50 bucks here. I mean, this has been the dog of the group. I'm so glad that I moved on from first of all. I had this in a long-term account. I just never liked the way it was responding. And if you think about how good the solar companies have been, this stock has just underperformed the entire group. I mean, look at TAN. And TAN's obviously full of SEDG and ENPH helping it along the way too. But TAN has been straight up. A lot of the other solar stocks have done very well. And first solar has been dead money for you know going back here i mean first solar go out to the monthlies this has just gone nowhere here for seven eight years and it's because every time they come out they just seem to disappoint well, and take here they guess. do it again take a guess when's the last time that first solar can beat? you show that can you show i that? can't remember like that's why i that's why i was like man this is set up for a short and i rarely you know intentionally put something on before and i was like i want to do it i want to do it i didn't have the guts and I'm kicking myself. I'm kicking myself all night. My butt hurts so much because I was kicking myself. How many? When's the last time they missed? They, they, they beat. They never beat. We're yeah. bringing up pro here. I'll pull it Check up. It up. I'll pull it up on the screen. The there. perennial you loser. They just kick yourself underperform. So here's the. It's, it's oh, this isn't just selective perception on my part. This stock just misses. No, they haven't beat uh, on their earnings per share number since the third quarter of uh, October 2018 was the last time. That's so four four consecutive quarters. Yeah. No, more, uh, eighteen. So you're talking like six six quarters. Yeah, they yeah. haven't beaten. So it's not selective perception on my part. And what a setup! Whoever shorted this into the print, congratulations, because it was straight up. I mean, it ripped on the good SEDG numbers. It ripped on the end phase numbers. It was going to have to probably blow it away to go higher. And this company is the one that misses usually. So here they are again. They disappoint once again. Shorts rewarded, longs punished again. First solar, just the dog of the group. 
Uh, here are the numbers. Their earnings per share, $2.02 versus a $2.76 estimate. Sales of $1.39 versus $1.79 billion. So a miss and a miss for First Solar. Last quarter, they gave some fiscal year EPS guidance figures. That was in line with estimates. They also said they're going to, quote, review options for their U.S. project development business. What a disappointer. That's all I have to say about First Solar. And you look and you think, okay, well, I'm going to buy the dip. But this stock, I mean, it just seems to always, if you hold on to it long enough, it seems to lose you money or you give it back. So I don't know what to say about First Solar. It's just been a dog. You have great support down there, 49 to 50. I mean, if you go out and you look at that monthly charts, we've bought them down here multiple times. I know we've cut through it even further and we've been as low as in 2017. We really got ugly, but Man, if you're thinking about how good the solar stocks have done, this is not the stock own. You know, I, I, I just go on long term here. I never really have interest in stocks like this um, for my long term portfolio. You're like solar to, stocks or what? Yeah, first solar. I mean, hit an old time high. Well, well, yeah, but you said stocks like this. So why? You mean just because the chart? You mean a stock that does doesn't go anywhere? Not trending. A stock that hit three hundred and seventeen dollars in May of two thousand. So far off the all time highs. Yeah, yeah, and then you've just—it's just been on the monthlies here. It's just been chop and slop. I mean, there's been—I mean, I guess there's been a trading range. Uh, you know, going back since fourteen, kind of a wide trading range, but I just can't. You know, I just can't get a feel for it, you know, that it maybe if it breaks, breaks out of, you know, above the top of the range, the bottom of the range. But I don't know, just long term, just no interest. I mean, solar, yeah, I'm interested in long term, but not this issue. You did dip uh, the headline print, took it down to 48.80. So that was a, maybe a little bit of an overshoot here. Traded about uh, three and a half bucks above that. Uh, so perhaps the low is in. What was your low in January? Uh, you're low, but my computer is finicky today. Um, you had your low at uh, 49 a quarter. I would keep keep an eye on that if uh, you're trying to bring in a short or you feel like you have to cover or you want to try along in it. Jumping right. over. So obviously some of your other stocks are down in sympathy. I don't expect, you know, big falls in end phase. I don't expect big falls in SEDG. I know they're down because of the first solar report, but we already have heard from these companies. Those are probably buying opportunities. Although again, with the overall market, I don't know if, uh, if I'm nervous to buy anything here, uh, but you are seeing some weakness in some of the other solar stocks because the first solar like S Canadian solar is down 50 cents here. SunPower has given back a little bit of its incredible run. I mean, it got all the losses back from its earnings. It's right back up there. Full disclosure, I'm still long SunPower. Um, it's it's definitely just been a, a, a first of all, it's just been the disappointment on, in the whole group. How about that Domino's pizza, man? That thing. Yeah. Well, and I did not think it was going to continue to rip. I was like, oh, this is not one I'm coming up and buying 50 points. Man, it went up another 25 points. I know. I know. So you just can't. I said, I'm not shorting it because I don't short stocks that make new all time highs. Thank goodness for that system because um, <laughs> it was like 349 or something we were talking about on the show. And I said, I'm not chasing it here either because the pizza stock. I guess, you know, it's not, they say it's a technology company. Kramer calls it a technology company. So anyways, what the market sees Nick? it as a technology company and they're ripping it. Yeah. I, I, that that, that really, it. that really grinds my gears when, <laughs> when people call that a technology. It's That's tech Kramer. Kramer started that, wasn't he? No, Nick. Nick well, did. all you have to do is Google Domino's technology company and you'll see all the people who call Domino's. A, a, there are a lot of them. And because really, they have online ordering. 
No, is that because why technology? Because the argument is that the largest segment of their headquarters, as far as employee count, are technology employees. So they employ craziness. craziness is right. Exactly right. Okay. Moving craziness, on. Craziness, pizza thought, delivery company. Uh, it's got a high multiple here. I'm not buying it at three. I, I mean, this thing is hot and you know, it's not the kind of stock to short when they're making you all kind of just like you said. They have an Friends, app. your friend, but it's just seemed way overdone. I thought it was an agricultural company. They don't grow. Well, have you seen Domino's Farms out there? Oh my gosh. You, okay, you, moving on. Uh, she got <laughs> that's how we got to change this in a hurry. All right, Dropbox. <laughs> Dropbox. Yesterday after the close, DBX earnings per share beat 16 cents versus 14 cents. Sales beat 446 versus 443 million dollars. Also announced a 400, 600 million dollar buyback. Look at Dropbox holding on to the gains. This is one that always reports and then never holds on to the gains. So I was just waiting for this to collapse. It tried to collapse right after the report, but then it's come back up here. So maybe it's going to be one that holds on to it. I, I don't, I, I've, I've been burned buying Dropbox on good reports before, so I'm not doing it this time either, but it's holding on pretty good. It's holding up better than it usually does. Ah, uh, boom. This thing has had three spikes since December, and we've cleared those spikes. Uh, and those spikes have come in right at 19 bucks. So you're well above that. Oh, man. Maybe come back. I'd be more inclined maybe to wait just to fade a little bit, come back in at 19. But so far, it's in, it's in a breakout here, up to 26, holding on to the gains. Someone got real excited and took this up to twenty one ninety five. So you're a buck off that. I use that as an early target if uh, if you're looking for to take some profits in this one. That's a pre market high and kind of settled down since making that high. Uh, buyers have stepped in at twenty fifty. All right, that, that was it for the major earnings. If there there are others, Z scaler, I wouldn't mind doing. Oh, you want to do ZS? Okay. Yeah, do that. And this again, and this is not, you know, this was on the comeback trail here, but this has also been an underperformer there too. I know in the, since October it's been great. Yeah, it's down nine bucks. So we topped out back in the summer at eighty nine, and then it went on the horrible sell off down to forty. So then you're getting, you know, and it's coming back, it's coming back, and people are hoping maybe I'm going to get my money back at 70, maybe I'm going to get my money back, maybe this thing I'll have a good report, I'll get my money back at 80, and no. <laughs> and it's gone. $55.90, so it's down 10 bucks basically, um, giving back the majority uh, of this year's run. This is a case of guidance trumping earnings because the earnings were good. Yeah, they beat yeah. on their guidance EPS. does trump. They beat on their EPS, they beat on their sales, but their Q3 EPS guidance was light. Their Q3 sales guidance, that was okay. But their EPS guidance for the quarter and for the year didn't inspire a ton of confidence. I mean, you think about the cloud stocks and you think about how many of those are making new all-time highs. And you look at Zscale and you think, here's another dog of the group. Um, you know, is this the one that's going to bounce back? You have some support. There's one nice little low there, 54.75 from January 27th. I'd say that's where it needs to hold. Um, and it is down nine. And this buy the dip mentality maybe eventually turns the story around here too. But there are so many better cloud plays out there that have been performing very well. You know, there's like a dozen of those stocks out there. 
Um, so why why Z Scaler? That's my question. Why not you know, go pick one of the better ones? I took my eye off this one. Sean and I were hawking this thing around 46, 47, 48, and I never pulled the trigger on it and kind of took my eye off it. Now, I don't know if I would have gotten out ahead of the report, uh, but, man, it's still just based on this 15-minute chart here, doesn't look like the selling is done here. It's sitting at the lows of the pre-market session right there, 56.72. That's your low. Well, I see a 56 and a quarter. So what do we got on the dailies? Do we have anything in that area in the dailies? Uh, boom. Man, oh, man. I got to have to reboot my computer here. This thing is just. Just that one low, Joel. The 54.75 back on January 27th. Okay. Let's see. Is that it? Uh, there's not much else in there. Yeah, uh, 50, uh, 56.08, like if you're really, if you think this thing is going to bounce, 56.08, that was your January 29th. Well, we've just taken another leg down here in the S&Ps. I'm not sure, did we have an eight, um, an 8.30 number? I don't know, that's a good here? question too. Could, you got to watch, and you know, the one thing is, I will say, you what a main thing is, you got to watch, if you're watching Twitter, you know, there's the one BNO desk. Um, it's at BNO desk and they've updated pretty well what's happening with this coronavirus. So I've got that, that I'm watching that constantly. Um, so there is sometimes news breaking there, but I mean, coronavirus headlines are dominating this market here right now. There's a new fear. Um, you know, there's a, there's a headline here from BNO newsroom, a four-year-old girl, um, a four-year-old girl falls to her death. I, I, that's a horrible headline. I can't even read that. So I, I, apparently in Hong Kong, she's fallen or something. So that's a horrible headline. I, I was just reading that out of the corner of my eye over fears of coronavirus. So right. I, I anyways, it sounds like a four-year-old died in Hong Kong from right. somehow fears of coronavirus. Horrible. I wouldn't put a lot of stock into that. Yeah. I, I would. They're scared about deaths right now. This market is really spooked. I really believe that the market is starting to sell off now because we're starting to get deaths outside of China. And they don't want to see that. You know, we had a couple, we had a couple in Iran. Now we get a couple here. It's a couple in Singapore. This is why the market's starting to get spooked. Uh, Guys What's, and girls, I think once you start seeing deaths, and if you, for, heaven forbid, we start seeing deaths in North America, that's when the market will start to really get scared. Is it? So we hope we don't see it. I think it's inevitable, though. I think we are eventually going to see some deaths happen here. And that's, you know, obviously we don't want to see that, but I think that's when the market's going to really start to get nervous. Is that at BNO Newsroom? Yeah, uh, BNO Desk. So, yeah, BNO Newsroom. Yeah, that's yeah. the Twitter yeah. handle. They're pretty good at covering this. If somebody's got a better one, let me know. Um, you know, this is new. We're just trying to grab wherever we can um, for the information for the coronavirus. And obviously, some of your news feeds are doing a great job with this, too. So um, just if you know if you know another one, let us know, too. Obviously, there's a lot of news feeds covering this right now. So yeah, headlines from the coronavirus are dominating this market right now. Yeah, I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow this for a little bit, but it, I don't know. If it upsets me, I'm, I'm not going to follow it. I, it's hard. That, that's the worst headline I've seen. BNO Desk is usually just giving the numbers, but they update on scenarios there. So. Yeah, Anyways, a mean, lot of, yeah. This is a horrible thing that's happening, everyone. Like, it's a horrible thing. Obviously, it's been, you know, in China. We know there's been a lot of bad things happening in China, but now we're starting to see it happen outside of China. That's the sentiment change that we're seeing in the last couple of days. It's like, whoa, okay, we weren't expecting this to start. The market was not expecting this to continue to uh, go. I, I expected it. You know, a lot of, you know, Jim Cramer has been expecting it. But the market's been trading at all-time highs, just shrugging off that this is a China problem. It's starting not to look like a China problem. It's starting to look like a world problem. Iran, South Korea, Japan. I'm not fear, trying to fear monger. I'm trying to tell you why the sentiment changed in the last two days. 
And that's because we're starting to see people die outside of China. All right, Spencer, get us back on track. Uh, I want to do Hasbro here. Uh, stock trading up uh, a bit this morning. They had an event, and at the event, they said they're going to extend their merchandising deal with uh, Marvel and Star Wars. Stock trading slightly up. I haven't looked at this one for a while. I mean, it got it had the earnings report that was good, and then <laughs> they just faded the hell out of it. So. Yeah. Now you're starting to come back, hundred bucks. I mean, it's getting there's so many people caught. There's so much overhead supply here in Hasbro now. So it's isn't a stock that's just going to rip up five six bucks. You know, you don't have any opening here. It's like just overhead supply from one hundred to one hundred five is is really thick. I'd be more of a seller of bounces on this. I do not think it can get through that area. Yeah, it didn't budge. Uh, Brent mentioned that headline when I came in. I thought, you know, you see a little bit of a pop in there, and you did not. Uh, yes, I don't think this one's coming back. Not anytime soon. Yesterday's high, 98.99. So you're right there right now. You cleared 99. I see a little bit of a hurdle. Um, in the 100 handle, 1008. And then who knows after that? It, it looks pretty wide open. But I agree with you. I remember that earnings, and we talked about that. And that was one of those days where it just opened up. And it, let's say you didn't short the open at 107.99. You let it run up to 109.50 when it came back down through there i'm sure you didn't even have time to cart it up before it was major league in your favor so that's uh that's a take on hasbro uh i want to mention a name we haven't mentioned recently on the show and that is andrew left he hey how is andrew he oh, was out. andrew we got to get andrew on the, we ever we had him on here once we did brad got him on once He's yeah we of, had him on here once let's cali, get andrew back on he's a cali guy it's, yeah Tough with the time. The bubble buster. Oh, he's got the bubble buster on here. Yeah, but he's out. I named him that, by the way. He's out positive on a stock. He is not. He's been doing that lately. He's not the bubble, but now he's the bubble inflator. Yep. SDGR Schrodinger, an IPO from like two weeks ago, uh, said it's the most important IPO of the last five years. What do they do? I don't know what they do. They're a drug company and. That's all I really know. He said, like, he said it's like an early stage Tesla. That's what he said. And you, I'll, I'll pull up the chart. Really? And you can see what, I'm, what, I'm, what, what he did. He did this. He did that yesterday. Hmm. It's, and it's getting some follow through here this morning. I mean, we know Andrew Left has a lot of influence on stocks. So we know he talks his book. Um, but, you know, he does his research. They do his research. And a lot of times, Andrew Left ends up being right. Everybody's quick to point out the times he's wrong. But he's been right a lot of times there, too. So um, I know he has influence. So you have to respect his influence. Love him or hate him, you've got to respect his influence. And that's a huge move and, off and of Andrew Left. He's been Pump quiet of late. He's been quiet. So this is kind of – I haven't heard his name for, for a while. Yeah. Um, buy underscore Apple says it's backed by Bill Gates. I don't know. I don't know that either. I don't know anything about this company, but maybe it's worth researching. Okay. Uh, it's trading just near the pre-market high, 51.67. You've backed off at 49.5. Uh, I'd use the close and the high of the yesterday's range uh, for support. And how high did we get yesterday? We closed near the high of the session, uh, 48.73. I see a little bit. I'd call that minor support to close yesterday. 47.62. Good volume came into the uh, yesterday after trading 1.6 million shares on Wednesday. Traded 7 million yesterday. So good trend there. Uh, increasing volume and increasing price. And we talked uh, the follow through in dominoes. What, what about the follow through in stamps? Oh, my. 
goodness. It was, and again, same story. It's just hard to spade something that's gapping up 20 because it runs up another. So this thing gaps up 25 points and runs up another 30. It's so hard. The gap and goes are happening in a lot of stocks. And, you know, it's, it's when they get into these gap areas too. And Stamp was in a gap area uh, from when it fell back in early 2019. And when they're in those gap areas, it can go anywhere. And that was the classic gap and go. And we're seeing this a lot. People coming in, you know, insane fate. Deer feels like, you know, when that gaps up, I feel like, well, there's some overhead supply there. And I feel like this isn't a stamp, so it's going to rip. This is a huge company. And the guidance was okay, but... Um, you know, one of those I'd be more prone to fade. But when you start getting these end phases that are at a, gapping into all-time highs or stamp gapping into a gap area, it's wide open. And same thing with Domino's Pizza. When they're gapping up in all-time highs, they're hard to fade because there's nothing in there. And it means these, these things could, could be the dreaded gap and go if you're a fader. And, you know, if you're a buyer, that's always a good thing. But if you're a fader, you hate the gap and go because you can really get burned. Uh, I predict that this stock will never fill old gaps. Pull Where up are the they? There's a pile on there, isn't there? What was Pull the all-time high on this puppy? I did it in my article yesterday, 283. Oh, wow. What a comeback, though, from, like, I down know. 30. You had, like, I figured, like, that's it. You know, $35, you think it's never, ever going to get back to 280 again. You know what? Here we are a year later, and, you know, it's got half the losses back. That's crazy. I don't even know. Yeah. That's, just the, that's just gap crazy. Yeah, gapping, gapping. I don't okay. have no idea what to tell you now. <laughs> uh, Dennis, was there anything else on your list? I, I, I just want to talk imbalances quick. quickly. So, sure. again, this is an interesting day. I'm seeing a lot of sell imbalances across the board in different stocks, obviously with the market being down. But even in some defensive names, I'm seeing some sell imbalances. Sometimes those can give you an opportunity. Procter & Gamble, 41000 to sell. That opens week. It's usually an opportunity on a day like this because some people view this as actually a defensive stock. That's, you know, they sell a lot of products that are cleaning products. So sometimes, you know, the Clorox and Procter & Gamble, when they gap down on the open on a big down, they can actually turn green. Keep an eye on those. Bristol-Myers, 126000 to sell. That just stands out here this morning. Also, if I'm just looking at big imbalances, the banks are very weak. TLT is ripping higher, so we know that's bad for the banks. JP Morgan, 67000 to sell. Bank of America, 290000 to sell. Those stand out here this morning as well. Uh, just they're, 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 there's imbalances across the board, I would say, mostly to the sell side. And some are bigger than others, but they're not huge, but enough to be concerning. Square 38,000 to sell as well. What a run Square has had. Uh, just real quick, uh, I just wasn't looking at the YouTube chat. Jack Johnson's talking about fit, and that thing's just kind of faded here. I mean, what, what's it? I thought well, that's it's getting taken over. It's getting bought by Google. Isn't it? But what's the price? No, I know. I, we talked about this on the show like a few weeks ago. It's trading at a significant discount from the takeout price because there's concerns it, that they're going to block it, this deal. Seven, Would that not be insane? If, 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 if they, they block Fitbit from getting acquired, this is a drop in the bucket. And if they block this, just because they're not going to let Google acquire anything ever. You know they don't like the way this Google is, and they're concerned because the Fitbit takeout price is in the sevens, is it not? Seven yeah. What is it? Seven thirty-five a share. $7.35 is trading. And that's a cash deal, isn't it? Yep. So it's trading at a dollar discount. Fitbit. I mean, you're talking about a drop, drop in the bucket. I mean, what this? what is the, the market cap of, you know, this takeout? Is it two, even $2 billion? 2.1. Very good. $2.1 billion. And you're talking about a company with a trillion-dollar market cap. And they're worried. 
you know, there, there's obviously legitimate worries. The risk arbs are saying they might not let this deal go through. Otherwise, you would just scoop it up at 632 and get your 735 price. But there's legitimate concerns. And I mean, if the deal doesn't go through, this thing's back at four bucks. So, um, or maybe even three, because I think Fitbits have got in a lot of trouble if they don't get acquired here. We know it was around $4 when the deal got announced. But risk arbs are saying there is a significant uh, issue here that this deal might not go through. So it's a disappointing report. It trades a little bit on the report. It's not going to get killed on it because there is still a deal on the table and the deal, it, the numbers won't matter if the deal goes through. But if the deal doesn't go through, the numbers will start to matter. So that's probably why it's down a little bit on the report. I, I, if they don't let that Google buy that, they're never going to let Google buy anything. It'd be, or, it would be or, crazy. Or for that matter, Facebook or Amazon or anything. No, I know. It's, it'd be absolutely crazy if they blocked this deal. Craziness. All right, Triple D. Uh, we're gonna let you go. Well, if you, I, or I mean, you could just you hang should, in the background you here. Hang, but what yeah, I want, I'm gonna listen to this again. So we got an exciting to, interview here for you. Yep. So, so Joel set this up yesterday. We wanted to talk, or he wanted to talk to Ben Lichtenstein, uh, who, if you've been trading as long as these guys have, you know his voice, if not his face. And so we surprised Dennis yesterday. We didn't tell him exactly who he'd be talking to. I'm just going to play the interview right now. Don't tell me anybody who I'd be talking I didn't to. Tell you. <laughs> I was panicked trying to figure it out. I was like, uh-oh, I hope I get the voice because they say I should know this person. Eventually, I did get it. <laughs> right. So here, let me just do one thing real fast. Okay. Let me play this interview right now. And we're start I'm starting off just at any point in the recording. Oh, that was a cleanup while. That was, that was nice. Uh, all right, Dennis, you don't know anything about this. I just know anonymous. Well, that's that's because you can see anonymous, right? Yes. Okay. See, I, I. Are we recording uh, now? We are recording now, as a matter of fact. Oh, so um, welcome. Well, this isn't live or anything, but we're, <laughs> we're, we're recording this, so we will air it later on. Uh, let me bring on our anonymous guest right now. Anonymous guest, hello. Good afternoon. Um. All right, anonymous guest, why don't you, I guess let's start with your background. Tell us a little bit broadly speaking. All right, gentlemen, before we get into my background, can we just talk a little bit about some of the market activity today? We've been coming off in a big way. We sold off this morning all the way down into some new lows. Saw the Dow down around 2%. Market has been coming off those lower levels, though. We've been seeing a bit of a bid come back into the market, and we've been rallying off the lows of the day. Still negative on the day here, but you can see, again, the market's been coming under pressure. All right, Triple D. I'm going to give you one guess, and you better not, you Wait, better not disappoint me. Before we give him a guess, let me just, okay. just remind him that I'm a long-time long uh, industry quote-unquote professional in the business, uh, a lot of experience with price activity, to say the least. And uh, what's another hint that I could uh, give? That's all you get. The voice is a good hint. I mean, the <laughs> voice is good. I know this voice. But you don't know yet? No, I'm, I know the voice, and it's killing me. I know this voice. I've heard this I, voice. Should we give him another clue? How about I? How about really I? put me on the spot. I always fail all these games. I knew you were gonna whine. I'm the person that fails the hot potato game. I'm the person that can't get one Jeopardy question right. I'm the last let's, person. I I am terrible at this. Right, <laughs> but I know your one, voice. Let's give him one more clue. How's that sound, guys? Okay, one more, and then I'll kick him off the show. I'm gonna, 
We're at seven even. Market's starting to sell off six even at five even. This sounds like Ben Lichtenstein. It's got to be Ben. It's got to be Ben Lichtenstein. That's got to be Ben. I listened to Ben for years. I'm like, I know this voice. You sound different than you used to. That, when you start doing that, there's, there he is. There he is. There he is, Ben Lichtenstein. I knew it. <laughs> I thought it. I thought it might be, but then I need to hear you actually quoting the fast quotes. And I'm like, I got this now. <laughs> Joel, I listen to you at Bright Trading. Oh, Joel, what long time? Hours and hours. You, you ten, probably ten years. You were one of the guys that probably listened enough to the point where you would hear me in your sleep. Is my guess. All, all the time. <laughs> I remember Bob Bright saying, "Be quiet behind. I can't hear Ben. You got to be quiet. I need to hear these numbers. I can't hear Ben." You know, I, I for a long time and, and still to this day believe that without Bright Trading and Don and Bob and those guys, the fam the Bright Trading family, I would not be here right now. They, you know, I got introduced wow. to Don early in my career on the trading floor. And one of the things I, I used to like about Don, I was jokingly said that he would pay the invoice the day before he received it in the mail. I mean, that actually, they, whatever they, 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 they handled their business really well. And, and, you know, it showed for the most part from what I saw, people like them and the people they worked with, they were well-respected. Well All right, just let me hop in here and give a little background here to our, our anonymous guest, who's Ben Lichtenstein, who's currently on the TDA network. Uh, as you all know, I, my background was on the floor of the Chicago Mercantile Exchange and Ben and I might have crossed paths only for a few months because I left Chicago in 92. And uh, I used to do the same thing that Ben did. I used to quote the S&Ps for some guys who were doing arbitrage in New York and against the missiles, a major market index. And you would just be quoting hand signals. You would, yeah. be, you would be quoting clerks. You would sometimes, and I, and I told Dennis this, sometimes you just had to look at the board. And yeah. they'd be looking at the board and when they didn't really know what was going on in the pit, they would put up fast, 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 fast. Yeah, the new market, right? Yeah. And so when I uh, transitioned to prop, well, I was first at Oldie and then prop training at Bright, I'm like, guys, you gotta, you got to hear what's going on in the pit. This dominates the world. And for several years, we would just listen to this and it would be the turns in the market, right, yep. Dennis? Yeah. Like, yeah, it would be the turns. And you'd be offers, 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 offers. And then you'd say, Goldman's bid 30 on 100. And then you would hear a huge roar. And there used to be enough time, you know, two or three seconds we had, right, yeah. Dennis? Yeah. Oh, it, Ben led the, led the future. So yeah. when you started quoting, you, you know, could actually, you know, pick off, especially since we were mainly equity traders. So they would lag a few seconds totally, back in the day. Totally. So you start quoting up and they're lifting offers. We start lifting offers on the equities as well. So, you know, that keeps all the prices in line. Well, so we, we were looking to you for the leadership there, Ben, and you gave it to us for years. You gave it to us. Yeah. Well, you guys are talking about back in the day when, I mean, the pit, you know, used to move the market, basically the futures moved the market and um, it's changed a lot over the years. I mean, back in the day, then Morgan Stanley, Goldman were very active in the pits. You could see them come in and then what would happen is, as you mentioned, it's offer, offer, offer. Then Goldman comes in with a big bid and all the locals were selling and shorting into that offer, looking to buy lower and when they didn't trigger those sell orders, sell stops down below, and if Goldman came in bid, 
they would have to now buy in front of Goldman because I used to call what the locals did was under those circumstances, they would imply supply by offering the market lower. They acted like they needed to sell, but what they really wanted to do was buy. So they were implying supply to try and actually spark some legitimate supply or legitimate sell stops. And then they would just buy on those sell stops, cover their shorts. And then, but in this case, what was happening is you'd see sell, 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 sell. And then instead of triggering that legitimate supply, they ran into some legitimate demand. And so they needed to cover their shorts already. And so that would just run the market right up. And like you said, that gave a little bit of a heads up in terms of the turn for the stock traders. We had a lot of guys that would trade baskets of stocks and, and it did dominate the turns. And then it kind of changed a little bit to where the mini became more the mover, you know, and, and the pit wasn't necessarily driving the mini anymore. I mean, at first when the mini S and P came out, there were guys that were straight trading the mini versus the pit. And then towards the end, or even now, there's a couple guys in there that are still trading the pit versus the mini. So they're waiting to see trades in the mini come in and then they'll trade in the pit based on that. But it's changed quite a bit. And, you know, this was basically what guys were doing was the ARB. And that's kind of what brought about the squat boxes. Everybody wanted to know faster and first what was happening in a pit. And keep in mind, back in the day, you're talking 20 years ago, that information was slow to leak out, especially if you were a retail customer, you know, you, you were the 10th phone call that got answered instead of the first, you know, the hundred guy was the first call that was answered. And there were times it would take hours to get fills out of the pit even, you know, that's how slow things were back in the day. Yeah. Um, how are you doing on the hand signals, Ben? Ah, I Come on. remember them all still. There's how about, how about, Let's show us a few. How about, right, well, if you're buying, you always had your palms facing towards you. So like you're trying to accumulate, if you're selling, you're pushing away. Quantity was always done on your face and price was done out here. So this is one, two, three, four, five. And then increments of 10 were done on your forehead. So this is 10, 20, 30, 40. So this would be 44 at a price of 40 because the zero was implied. So four zero. Sell a thousand at the market for me. Well, this would be sell a thousand at the market. Just like that, <laughs> nice. a thousand. And if my palms facing away, this would be buy a thousand. And, <laughs> and this is the market symbol. But like I say, all that changed so much towards the end, it got a little difficult to actually, like you were calling how I would say Goldman's coming in a buyer, Morgan's coming in a buyer. They got to the point where they didn't even want to do hand signals anymore. They would be on headsets like you guys right now. Yep. And they would just call the pit and the guy in the pit would look up and he'd go, he would check the order and go buy a hundred. And, and so no more hand signals. So you couldn't pick it off. Pick them off. Oh yeah. More difficult because the, like I said, that's what the locals were doing. They were just straight paper. They were just trading order flow. That's it. Yep, you could see the paper rolling off the desk, and if you know if your broker was trying to buy five hundred, you'd say, you know, Shearson, Shearson selling. Well, Shearson's not around anymore. Shearson's selling five hundred, and then everyone would, uh, you know, would jump and would help the price. But yeah, I, I don't, you know, I was there a little bit after when they moved to the to the headset thing. Um, another thing that you're really well known for, and I don't know if people heard it uh, on YouTube. Uh, was a flash crash in 2010, and uh, it's funny, Dennis wrote an article about that in early 2010, because it happened in a stock named Rambus, uh, and Dennis wrote a great article for CFA Magazine about how could this could happen to the whole market. Uh, Spencer, you got a little bit of that queued up? That was, uh, that's some famous audio from uh, 
what was it, May 6, 2010? You got it. It was. You got yep. it. Yeah, we're just going to play a little bit of that audio. And this is kind of what we heard, like, on a daily basis when yeah. we were uh, back in the bright training day. So, uh, Spencer, is going to play just a little? We've been video now, guys. He's talking about a 1,000 Dow points. You know, it's just too much. 13 even bid here now once again. I'm at 13 even bid now. 13 outs are trading right now. All right, guys. Sorry about that. There's nothing I can do about that, guys. Once again, on it for you here in a big way. Paper came in. Huge paper sellers coming through here, guys. We got fast market up on the boards here once again. We have seen some big paper sellers coming in. It all started out up above around 38 even here now, guys. Talking about 25 handles of solid sell-side activity here, guys. 25 handles nowadays is nothing, keep in mind. We just did that in an hour, you know, off the lows, yeah. damn near. But, yeah, you could have uh, been quoting that flash crash just about three hours ago here in the morning. <laughs> it was coming down pretty good. Yeah. You know what, though? But when you hear it, I remember, and he goes 10 points wide, and you're like, we haven't been this wide in years, he says. <laughs> well, I still I bring that up every once in a while, pay to my wife, just to get myself chills. <laughs> you all brought up a good point. That was the kind of squawk or the kind of quote you heard on a regular daily basis you know, five years prior to the flash crash, when the pit was moving the market and, and the pit was really active, the flash crash was when the mini started to become more active. And, and it, the flash crash was one of the times where the mini actually was leading the pit. One of the times where it started to turn from pit leading mini to mini leading pit. But um, this, this used to be on a daily basis, we would see moves, not necessarily to the extent or magnitude of flash crash, but with the energy Back in the day, we, when I first started the squawk, you didn't want to leave the pit to go to the bathroom or go take a break because you weren't sure what you were going to miss. It could be a huge move. Remember, there would always be the Fed Fed watch, you know, that one period of the day, that hour a day where you'd sit. You didn't even know if the Fed was going to come in or what, you know. So it was – the transparency has changed things, to say the least. Yeah, I, I agree on that. And uh, so so just tell us a little bit, uh, you know, what you transitioned to uh, here uh, for the TDA Network. Well, after the pit and the presence of Morgan Stanley, Goldman, and all those big players in the pit kind of shifted to a lot more activity on the mini, I changed the broadcast from just strictly price activity in the S&Ps to more of kind of an educational broadcast that involved other products like gold, uh, um, energies, and, and basically all the futures markets, but really trying to teach and, and help listeners uh, understand trend because I'm a big fan of learning how to identify trend position uh, in, in a favorable location with the trend and just kind of hope you're right, know when you've been proven that the trend is no longer present. But I think that that helps traders remove themselves from some of the personal aspect of, of oh, I'm a terrible trader to, to kind of just, oh, the trend didn't continue. I look for the next trade now. You know, it, it removes some of the personal kind of, uh, um, you know, uh, negative associations with trading. But then uh, – Shortly thereafter, that transition, a couple years after, I was offered an opportunity to help build out the TD Ameritrade Network. So I have a future show on the network in the morning at 7 a.m. Uh, Central Time, 8 a.m. Eastern. And it's an hour, uh, uh, basically, of all futures. We have a couple guests come on, a couple in-house TD Ameritrade analysts who talk about price activity, mostly what's moving, and a little bit of an educational twist to that as well right now. Um, and then I have an afternoon show on the network that I do, which is first futures, and then I look at a couple stocks that are moving. We call that midday movers. So, so I've gone from from 
quoting and kind of giving that analysis and that price commentary on the trading floor to doing it here in front of the camera. It's very similar, different in a lot of ways, but it's exciting across the board. And especially with the energy that we've been seeing in the markets recently, I mean, this is just a great time to be involved, whether you're trading them or talking about them or both, you know, and, uh, and, and you know, especially with the moves we're seeing in gold and in treasuries, you know, it, it's just, and then the beauty of it is, is this run-up that we've been seeing, at least in stocks here, at some point that shift's gonna come and that's gonna bring about some energy to the downside, you know, back like we saw at the end of 2018 and the beginning of 2019, that kind of energy again. So so that was a long-winded answer to- No, uh, it's a great answer. A couple of quick questions before we let you go here. Uh, and I always ask this of, floor of uh, people from the floor and you don't have to answer it, but did, were you ever fined? No, no, I no. Joel's never found somebody that's no. ever been fine because Joel's been fine and he wants to find somebody else that's been fined and no. he can't find anyone. Uh, I know plenty of guys that were from everything from eating on the trading floor to throwing a punch. You know, I mean, it was back in the day in the S&Ps getting fined was no big deal because they were making so much money in there. If, if it was cost efficient to get fined for whatever the upside was, you did it, you know, I mean. But, um, but no, I used to really get kind of, uh, I was under the microscope a bit, so to say, by the exchange itself, mainly because what I did was technically providing data distribution, you know, and they make a lot of money off that data. So they, they always kind of looked at me a little bit and were a little skeptical of what I did, but it, it was different. It was audio commentary, not digital, you know, uh, right, digital information. Quotes, right. So uh, it, it finally, it finally, or Dennis, did you have something? Um, I just wanted to ask him just on, you know, and obviously you've been around the markets for a long time, but this, you know, we're, we're running into basically the 10th year of this bull market. I know we had a little lull a couple of years ago, 2018, 2019, but really for all intents and purposes, this market's been straight up since the financial crisis. What are your thoughts here on just, you know, this relentless bull? I mean, we know, you know, and I've been around 22 years. I know markets don't go up forever. They do have corrections or bear markets eventually, but if, for people who are just starting, you know, in the last three or four years, they maybe, you know, haven't experienced a bear market. You know, first of all, you know, what are your thoughts on, you know, the continuation of this bull market? And second, how do you uh, advise traders, you know, to give them, you know, any advice on how to approach markets when they're not going straight up? Well, that's a pretty simple answer. One is that the trend in the, at least the indices, and I assume that's what we're talking about when we say the market has yes. to the upside. And I'm a firm believer of the trend is your friend. I like to put it a little differently and basically continuations more likely than change. So I think in a trending market higher, when we're on all time highs, like we're seeing, it's very difficult to buy this market because again, you're kind of, you're buying high, hoping it goes higher. But what you have to do is you have to be able to identify trend. And in this case, the trend has been to the upside. And in my opinion is you have to find a favorable location within the trend. So it's a bit of a pullback of some sort, or it's an initiative type breakout and you just sort of hold on and hope it continues. But one thing that's difficult, it, it, one thing that I like about trend following is I like to look for the areas of consolidation that form on the way up. So you have these strong surges and then sideways consolidation, strong surge, sideways consolidation, and sometimes more well-defined than others. But I like to look at the current area of consolidation that we're forming and as as long as we don't pull back below the middle of the last one that formed, well, then I still see value or migration of value to the upside. In my opinion, that's a trend to the upside. So, so I think it, it's 
you know, I don't like to get in front of freight trains because it, it's not a pretty sight, you know, and I'm not a good counter trend trader. I'm not fast enough. I've always found for me, I like the market to do the work for me. So again, I like to participate in trend and, and I just hope it continues. Um, it's it, tough to say to buy this market at this level, but you know, I, I think this trend could continue for another 10 years with the Fed supporting and, and stimulating the market. And I mean, it's the, it's the most hated trend ever, people call it. And personally, I, I, I think it'd be highly unlikely, but it could continue for the next 10 years, sure. There's zero rejection of these upper level prints as of yet. I mean, we just posted new all-time highs this overnight in the yeah. ES and the NASDAQ. So yeah. to say that, 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 oh, basically here's the way I look at it. Anyone who's been selling this market over the last 10 years has been wrong unless they sold that high tick or, or the couple handles off that high tick from overnight last yeah. night. I mean, yeah. you know, tough. What, what final thing for you, Ben? Uh, you know, I, I've told different floor stories and, uh, you know, guys coming out of the Euro dollar, just actually exploding out of the Euro dollar pit after, you know, after a number completely covered in sweat. Um, and I know you, you know, you knew a lot of the locals down there. Do you have like a, a favorite pit story, a good one or a bad one? I know you weren't there when uh, Shearson uh, wrecked the market uh, uh, during the, uh, during the uh, crash in 87, but do you have a pit story or do you have something, you know, that, that just will stick with you for the rest of your life uh, that you could tell on, you could tell on the show. A <laughs> PG, a PG one. On the show, as I'm sure you're aware of, and then I've got a few I can tell. One, I was a young phone clerk, and this is a, a great story. It's, it's one of the ones I can tell with, with confidence, and I'm not going to back myself into a corner here, but <laughs> – it was back in the day, right before Christmas, it might have been Christmas Eve, and Santa Claus is walking around the trading floor, and he's throwing candy up into the, the, the tiered levels of phone clerks, and I'm in the second tier or whatever, and he throws up a handful, and at me comes this miniature Snickers bar. It's coming at me just at a nice little lob, and I load up my arm and give it a tennis, tennis serve, <laughs> and it goes from the palm of my hand on a rope down into the pit, and hits the biggest local in the yen kid at the time, right in the forehead. Literally, the guy's a complete jerk. Nobody ever wanted to cross this guy because they knew what would happen to him. He's looking right at me as it's coming and it hits, nails him square in the middle of the forehead. He looks up at me and he goes, you little, you know what? He goes, you're lucky I'm having a good day. Otherwise I'd come up there. <laughs> but it was just, there's a couple others, but, uh, Oh, that's a good one. That's we had a lot of characters to say the least. Yeah, uh, we're you know we got you on. It took a lot to arrange this because I know you uh, you know you do your show and we have our show, but you know we're, we're going to keep in communication here and got to get you back back on again. That was like that was, big time. I know I get in trouble when I say it's my favorite guest, but you're my favorite guest. Well, we listened to you. We listened to you for so many years, Ben. So we feel like we're connected with you. I know you can't know all of your listeners, but we were two of your we, we were two of your biggest. Fans. A lot of you made us. A lot of money, Ben. Thank Gentlemen, you. Gentlemen, I appreciate that. That's what fueled the fire was hearing comments like that. You know, there was nothing more rewarding. It was 
it was tough to flip the switch every day and get things started. But once you did, it was, uh, it, it came from the heart. It really did. You it know? gave us the energy oh. in the morning. Always. Yeah, he really comes in there and re- ready and rearing and re- rearing to go. <laughs> what did you say at the beginning? Like right before the uh, rest, relax, refresh, there it is. rock and roll. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are ready to do it to it. Cause we're ready to bring it. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. You brought the energy. You'd be sleepy. Start? You didn't need coffee. You just needed Ben Lichtenstein. Oh, you don't want to see me on coffee. <laughs> <laughs> The stuff, but what we, we would say, new day, fresh start, and we would say, oh, oh, plaque on the wall. If you want to be here for the good times, you got to be here all the time. So that was the, <laughs> all the right. thing. You can't, you can't cherry pick down here. If you want to be here for the good times, you got to be here all the time. All right, Ben Lichtenstein is a host on the TDA network, and as you can hear, one of the most familiar voices on the street. Ben, thanks so much for the time today. Gentlemen, thank you so much. Look forward right, to thank you. That was great. Thanks, right, thanks again. Thanks, guys. Dennis, Joel, thank you. All right. Dennis, did you enjoy that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, 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 we listened to Ben for so many years, you know, the connection there for us. Um, and, and it helped, like, with our trading. And, you know, like, I was trading, you know, S&P major, you know, mega Big caps. Yeah. Trading GE, Bank America, Excellent. Goldman Sachs. These things move with the S&P futures. So when you've got the S&P futures, you, you know, he's leading it. And you can hear, okay, the pit's turning. You just turn around and you start grabbing those stocks. And it would, you know, so you got a lead on it. And, you know, even back in the day to think back to like, and people don't realize this now, but back in, um, you know, when we, when I started 1999, if you were trading New York Stock Exchange stocks, it was eight seconds to get a fill. So you put your order out there and it's turning and then you're like, was I in time? Was I in time? Because, you know, there's other traders that have preferenced that offer too. And are you there in time? And then, you know, you get the confirmation back eight seconds later. But, you know, it's a different world now. You click your own and it's really fast. And obviously it's difficult to compete with high frequency traders in a scalping game. But that's really what we were doing. We were scalping the mega caps against the S&P and we're very profitable doing it. And uh, and we haven't had this situation in a long time, and I don't know if we ever will, but we used to have limit downs, remember? We, they, they'd show up every once in a while. Now we only, if they had limit ups. <laughs> no, no. The <I laughs> market mean, only goes one direction no, no, here now. But you, but. Like, it'd be lock limit down. Yeah. You'd be 35 sure. handles, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was 35 handles. 35 handles in the S&P, and then it would limit down. Short, limit down. Short, and then they would halt it, you know. Yeah, and, and then reopen like, it. But then, but sometimes it'd be at the limit, and then they're like, they're nibbling. They're nib- there's 500 at the limit. There's 400 at the limit. It's gone. It's bid. And then, boom, if you didn't cover the short when it came off the limit, I don't know if we'll ever have that. I think it's 100. I think I checked it. The well, other it's day. more because the S&Ps, when we were trading back in 1999, 2000, 2001, the S&P was trading around, what, 700, 800, maybe 1,000. So it's a completely, you know, a, a 10 you know, limit down 35 points when the S&P was, you know, trading out a thousand was a significant move. Now 35 points doesn't seem uh-huh. to be a significant move. It's, you know, at, at the price we're currently at, it's only 1%. So it's a, it's just a different animal. 35 points doesn't seem to be nearly as important, obviously, than, than it used to be just because the price is so much higher. All right. All right. Uh, Triple D, uh, we're going to end this segment here and uh, we will catch you tomorrow morning. Same time. Okay. Thanks for putting that together. It was a pleasure, obviously, talking with Ben. All right. So that was our chat. I hope you enjoyed it with Ben Lichtenstein. I know uh, Dennis and Joel, if you can tell, Dennis and Joel really, really enjoyed that. So uh, thanks to Ben. 
it, it, it was a bit of a challenge to coordinate that because he's on TDA Network at the same time we're on here. So it was a pleasure to talk to him and uh, hope you guys enjoyed that as well. I want to bring on another guest. And as I pull our cameras up here, you can see that Joel is not sitting in his seat. He's been replaced by Patrick Lane. He's been fired. Patrick Lane is the new Joel. Patrick is, uh, it's my pleasure, wait, wait, what is, what is your, your title actually here? I don't, you know, it changes daily. It, it Who changes knows, every man? day. Okay. Whatever, so, whatever Jason wants it to be. Okay. Lackey. General uh, Lackey. Vincent Events Lackey. We'll, That's right. We'll call you that. You are responsible for putting together a, a, a bulk, a majority of the programming at our uh, conferences. Uh, we've been talking about it all week and all month, really, the Benzinga Cannabis Capital Conference. Uh, Monday and Tuesday. Patrick, just give us a quick primer of like the one or two things you're most excited for. Sure, sure. So um, it's an interesting time, right, in the cannabis market. I think for we sure. all know that. The goal for us is to be uh, two things. One, realistic. Um, we don't. I mean, we run investor conferences in the cannabis space, right? right. How fun uh, to do that right now. Um, the goal for us, right, is to bring the best possible companies, uh, as always, right, the best investment opportunities that are out there and then bring in really, really quality investors um, and, and ideally have those guys meet each other and do some business. So for us, we want to be realistic in terms of where the market is, you know, um, the days of high valuations and, you know, people coming to conferences and leaving with, you know, <laughs> so many checks and, and yeah. term sheets and things like that. Those days are over, right, uh, for the most part. But for now, well, for now, right? Um, it, we, we're, we're definitely buying the dip, I think, for the most part. But the, the goal for us, right, is to say, you know, this is a time of strategic partnerships and relationships, right? So come right. meet the people who are going to help you build in a leaner time um, and, and ideally get some money in the process, right? So that's where we are. Um, we have some really, really cool people. Kim Rivers is coming oh, yeah. from True Leave, uh, really, really savvy business person there. Um, apparently doesn't like short sellers and, um, <laughs> Wait, what? right. Well, I won't comment on that, but, but well, sorry, she, she's a CEO yeah. of a public company. Yeah. I, I don't imagine she would. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, yeah. it's kind of funny. I'm enjoying seeing, uh, you yeah. know, some of these companies that actually go after the shorters now. It's fun. Yeah. Uh, Bruce Lenton, of course, will be there. Um, former, he's former CEO of, of uh, canopy growth. Right. Yeah. And now he's with 17 companies, I think as chairman or advisor or something, Gage and, and Vireo yeah. health being among the top two. Um, we also have Nick Vita from Columbia Care, uh, some really cool investors like Jason Wild, prolific in the space. Yep. Uh, our buddy Tim Seymour is coming on. Uh, so we're, we're going to have a lot of fun for sure. Yeah, it's going to be a fun time. Two-day event, Monday and Tuesday, uh, BenzingaEvents.com to learn more about how to attend uh, this and future Benzinga Cannabis Capital Conferences. And while I have you, when is the next conference? Because uh, after next week. Uh, yes. So we have our full slate planned for the year. Awesome. Uh, so obviously next week we're in Miami. Detroit, focusing on the, the nascent market here in Michigan, uh, is April 1st. We have uh, the, our Toronto conference, June 1st and 2nd. And then we're going back to Chicago, September 29th and 30th. Maybe we can finally get some recreation licenses in the greater Detroit area because we're struggling. Yeah, well, listen, it's coming. It's coming. It's coming. Okay. Right. So one more thing, Spence, yeah, uh, and I'll let you go. So uh, as always, your users get uh, the, the pre-market code, right? The PMP uh, VIP, I think it is, right? Um, so if anybody wants to, to use that, feel free, and we'll make sure you get access to the show, and you get to see Spence or Joel or my shining face. 
Yeah. All right. Patrick Lane is uh, Benzinga Events Coordinator. Patrick, thank you so much for uh, joining us. Thank you, brother. You guys are fun. All right. Um, I do want I, I do want to now bring on our next guest. It is, he is Christian Shank. He is the CEO of Driven Deliveries. It'll take me a second to grab him right here, but he is joining us now uh, on Pre-Market Prep. He will also be at the conference next week. You sense a theme here. Uh, so Christian, uh, good morning. Good morning. <clears throat> How are you doing? Doing okay. Doing okay. Christian, tell us about what you're going to be doing at the Benzinga Cannabis Capital Conference uh, on Monday. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, first off, Monday, we've got a technology panel that I'm going to be participating in with some some other great companies in the sector. We're going to be discussing the use of technology within the industry and how we're using it for both competitive advantage and to uh, maintain relevant in this interesting time we have in our industry today. So you are relatively new. Are, are you new to the industry or is it just new to, new to Driven? Um, it's both. Um, I joined Driven um, in a board capacity late last, or actually would have been late 2018, um, and then joined the company as CEO in April. So uh, that so, was my first forte into cannabis. So, so, so what's, that, what's that been like? You came at an interesting time. I did. Actually, I think coming in when I did was um, what made it attractive to me, seeing the markets contract, seeing you know valuations become realistic, made for a really good, um, you know, environment for what we've been doing, you know, here at Driven, we've, we've pulled together quite a bit of consolidation within our space within the retail market, um, which has been um, really the catalyst for, for our growth. And I think if we would have got in, um, you know, if I would have came a year and a half ago instead of a year ago, it would have been a different story. I'm not sure we would have seen the same opportunity or if it would have carried the same uh, right. excitement as it did when I came. Uh, tell us a little bit quickly about Driven. Yeah, so uh, we are a publicly traded um, cannabis retail company. We used to be known as a delivery company. The company was born a um, little over, I'd say just about two years ago now, um, with the premise of delivering cannabis for dispensers to consumers. Pretty quickly, uh, once I joined, we realized that was not going to be a sustainable business model and that we wanted to participate in the gross margin of the business, predominantly between um, wholesale and retail. So really owning the customer um, and the customer experience. So we set out to uh, look at a build buyer partner strategy. We applied for some licenses in and around Los Angeles County. We ended up narrowing in on an acquisition of a retail company called Ganja Runner, um, which we acquired in June, July. We followed that up with a company called Mount High. September, we acquired a company in Oakland called Buddy. And just recently, we announced the acquisition of uh, Humboldt Heritage, which is a um, producer and uh, distributor based at Humboldt County. So how did you come to that pretty radical notion of we need to pivot our, our business model? Well, um, we saw the market um, contracting capital was getting more expensive and more scarce, uh, <clears throat> not coming from cannabis. I, I wasn't uh, privy or had the benefit of seeing the 30 times multiple on valuations. And, you know, we really, wanted to create a sustainable business on our own, um, given the cost of capital. We've, we've built a really powerful company here with almost hardly any fundraising. I think we've raised a little less than 5 million lifetime today. Um, and so it was really on a premise of create a sustainable business. So we crossed over into profitability late last year, which is pretty unique for a business of our size. We're still growing about 17, 18% month over month organically. 
and uh, we got big aspirations for this year. So I think you'll continue to see that grow. We will continue to look at creative transactions, but um, we are pretty focused on growing our in our domain expertise here. And uh, you know, moving into 2020 here, could you give us uh, just overall uh, some pros and cons for the industry? Yeah, I think it continues to be more of the same. I mean, we. It's about profitability for us. I think the companies need to start to focus on creating sustainable businesses um, that have, you know, a, a keen eye on watching OPEX. I mean, we've seen companies out outspending themselves, uh, some really bad toxic debt that came into the industry mid last year. Um, a lot of convertible um, debt that's created a lot of mess for a lot of major players. And so for us and for those that we see out there, um, you know, from a successful perspective, it's all about, you know, keep your head down, you know, weather the storm and continue to, you know, capture healthy business where you can. We also see focus being a major factor. So, you know, like while we are acquisitive and we are looking for new ways to grow the business outside of just organic, um, we are, you know, constantly looking at, um, you know, ways to stay in our lane, keep doing what we're doing and, um, you know, run a really profitable, you know, healthy business. Uh, what would you say, uh, Christian, to investors right now who saw what happened a, a year or two ago and 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 maybe lived and lived through the correction, maybe in their portfolio, and maybe they're not as short now that they want to stay exposed to the industry? What would you say to them? Yeah, I, more the same. I mean, I see there's a lot of bullish plays out there. We continue to see them. There's companies that are using uh, the moment here as a as an opportunity for rebound, restructuring. Um, we've seen a lot of that. You know, when we speak to investors, we're, you know, we're an opportunity for, for growth um, and for value creation, but at the same time, we're a safe bet. And, you know, having run a few public businesses in my career, I find that that's always a safe bet. You know, if we run the business the way that we have been and we continue to keep an eye on <clears throat> profitability while maintaining growth and having a real, you know, creative eye for, you know, being a healthy business that eventually, you know, the, the investors will come And you know, our ben, first Benzinga event that I attended in Chicago was very fruitful for us. We recently signed an engagement letter with a great bank and, you know, we're, we're way ahead of the game. I mean, I, you know, from our perspective, it's a lot easier to raise money when you don't need it. Um, and we've been in a, in a really healthy position because of that. And our investors have been very supportive. And uh, we've seen good, healthy improvements across the board. And that's the truth. And that's the truth. Always easy to raise money when you don't need it. Uh, Christian yeah. Shank is the CEO of Driven. As mentioned, he'll be at the conference next week. He'll be on a panel of hottest companies impacting the industry. Christian, thank you so much for the time today. And we'll see you next week. Yeah, thank you. See you soon. Take care, right. guys. Bye-bye. Uh, Joel, real quickly, before we go to our next guest, I, I just wanted to cover Slack real fast. Okay. Because while we were playing the interview with Ben Slack, uh, did have some news and it spiked and the news was that uh, Uber is moving all of its 38,000 nice. employees to the Slack platform. And I just want to pull up the, the chart here, hmm. pre-marketing chart of Slack and have you take a look at it for that's us. That's a big catalyst there. It, is. Uh, it popped off that, that that's what they needed. The stock had been in the doldrums uh, coming off that trading at the highs of the pre-market session uh, just made a high at, 2987. Uh, I guess we can just go with one number here for you guys. We've had a what a 21 point break 
Uh, actually, yeah, from uh, 42, let's call it 42 to 20, 22, 11. 31 bucks gets back of that half of that IPO break. So there's one potential target. And that coincides nicely with uh, your September high, 31.28. So potential resistance. Let's see if we can get up to that 31 to 31.28 level. Getting back half of those losses from the IPO for Slack. I don't want to end the show or the week without at least discussing Virgin Galactic or Tesla. Uh, okay. If only for a moment. I'll, I'll pull up uh, space first. You saw it kind of pull back yesterday. It did I, pull I, back a little bit yesterday. Uh, I mean, I don't know where you want to figure your retracement from me neither. Um, in that one. Uh, but to me, uh, just this whole and wild stock like this, you got to give it like an area. And I'll call this area just, let's just call it 30 bucks. Uh, your third three-day low was 28.71. They got down to 30.56 yesterday. Uh, we're trading uh, trading lower this morning, but I still think, uh, you know, it's really hard to think the Saints going to give a lot back until you press 30 bucks. Uh, volume still pretty good in this. Uh, just uh, 100 volume, 100 million volume. Oh, Share. Yeah. Yes, that too. That too. Um, so until you get, you know, the volume slowing down and some consolidation here, it looks like there's some appetite, but that. 29 to 30 area looks pretty important to me. And let's do Tesla also. Tesla, Tesla, Tesla. What can you say? Uh, boom, boom. Big week for it. Uh, I guess you might be a little disappointed with the price target raises that you didn't get up to that 968.99. That was the all-time high, so you got a couple tops in yeah. the same area. Every time we get closer, yeah. it, seems to, it seems to not get quite there. A lower high. Yeah. Um, for this one... Boom, boom, boom. Support has moved up. I Yesterday's, I mean, we're so far from yesterday's low at 859.94. Uh, tough one here. I can't even come up with an intermediate number. Oh. Trading high in the pre-market. Uh, I'll just tell you what your pre-market high is. If you're looking for potential resistance, that comes in at 918. And then just any final thoughts, Joe, before we go to our guest, any final thoughts on the market heading into the final uh, day of the week I mean, here? you know, Friday, Monday move, it doesn't look like we're going to, you know, settle at the highs of the week, nor nor at this time does it look like we're going to settle at the lows of the week either. So just kind of kind of quiet consolidation this week. And uh, I think for the Bulls to, you know, remain in control this week, uh, I think you just got to get above 3370. Yeah. We had a couple closes in that area. And, you know, if we're finally going to correct and you're going to have some nervousness over the weekend, uh, then you take out that pre-market low at 3345, as well as taking out the low from Thursday at 3339 and a quarter. Uh, but right now, this likes to be could just be a lot of chop here in a you know thirty five fifty handle and lower thirty five sixty handle. All right, let's bring on our final guest of the week, Josh uh, Genderson. He is the CEO of Holistic Industries, uh, maybe one of uh, if not the largest private multi state operator in the U.S. Josh, good morning. Good morning. If uh, not the largest, the coolest. The coolest. Okay. If not the largest, <laughs> definitely the coolest. Uh, tell us a, a little bit about Holistic Industries. Sure. Um, so Holistic is a privately held multi-state vertically integrated MSO. Um, we have licenses in Maryland, Massachusetts, Pennsylvania, D.C., Missouri, Michigan, California. And uh, 
pending uh, license applications or M&A in Illinois, West Virginia, and Virginia. So, uh, you know, we've, we've built a, uh, we've built a incredibly strong, passionate company organically over the last 10 years. Um, and, you know, we, we're excited to be down there this week. Which of those states was the hardest to get a license in? Or were they all? Um, they're all challenging. I mean, you know, I think Maryland, Pennsylvania are, are, are two really competitive markets to get licenses in. Um, Michigan is a, is a choppy process, um, very parochial. You know, this industry is so interesting because, you know, the, the, the state governments are, are, you know, the rulers and the, the governors are the king. And so navigating each state takes a little bit of political savvy. And, you know, I grew up and live and we're headquarters on Capitol Hill in D.C. Um, and it's just, you know, you have to learn how to navigate the states and identify local markets and really bond with those local markets or communities and, and hire locally and, and be, you know, focused on their needs and, and bringing them up. And it ends up being a great partnership and, and ultimately helps, up, helps us win these, these RFAs. Uh, interesting background here. Uh, the Jennisons are a third-generation family-owned liquor store, a staple in Washington, D.C. here. So you're making a transition here, I maybe still involved in the liquor industry, into the marijuana industry. Uh, just talk about the, you know, the, the, the comparisons and the differences between working, you know, marketing liquor and marketing marijuana. Sure. So it's actually, I was fourth generation. Uh, I took over the business um, a long time ago and, uh, and grew it into a vertically integrated liquor business. So most states in the country allow you to be, you know, one of, of three tiers. You can import, distribute, or retail. In Washington, D.C., it's a bit of an anomaly. You, you can actually cross into all three tiers. And so... Um, we have a big importing company that sells to distributors. We have a distribution network and arm in, in the DMV area. And then we have brick and mortar and click and mortar. So um, I think there's a huge parallel there. There's a lot of oversight in both industries. Um, in both industries, we're working, you know, we're manufacturing, we're, we're shipping, we're, we're um, you know, covering every area all the way down to the end customer. And so doing all of those things while, you know, being incredibly compliant and following regulations, um, they have, there's a lot of symbiosis. And, and it was one of the reasons I was drawn to, to the cannabis space. Did you just say click and mortar? I've never heard that before. But yeah, click and mortar. Uh, you know, we have a seller.com and, uh, and it's one of the top wine spirit sites, the e-commerce sites in the country. Oh, there's a new one. All right. You learn something new every day. Today, I learned about click and mortar. So, uh, click and mortar. Yeah. Josh, uh, tell us a, a little bit about what you're going to be doing at the conference next week. So, you know, being a private company, um, I don't think people read about us as much. We don't get to share, you know, all the incredibly exciting things and, and games that we've made. And, you know, as much as, as a public company does, that has a lot more reporting and a lot more coverage. Um, and so, you know, we're excited to be in Benzinga talking about a lot of new markets, a lot of new retail stores, a lot of new brands. Um, 
we're really excited. We have a uh, one of our presentations is, is around a new celebrity brand we're launching with the Jerry Garcia family, and uh, it's been such an exciting process, and and we have such an exciting product line coming out, and so we'll share that with the world there. Um, so it's just a, you know it's a good chance for us to get out and and show show the world and the investor community in particular how unique we are and and you know what a unicorn we think we are. And uh, also, uh, you're on the uh, holistic and medical side on that. And uh, uh, my wife's a physician. I've talked to her about the industry, and she sees, you know, a lot of a lot of potential, perhaps, in that aspect of the business. Uh, why don't you comment on that? Yeah. So we, you know, we really got our chops in the medical markets um, for the first seven years of our of our company's life. We were a medical only uh, company, and you know, we we really gained some some uh, national attention by treating children with with incurable or intractable epilepsy, um, and that morphed into a focus on on brain tumors, and that morphed into a focus on muscle spasticity. And so we work with a lot of researchers and physicians, and really custom tailor a number of different products to different ailments. Um, and then, you know, the Massachusetts was the first state we were in that, that flipped to recreational. Um, so we sat down and, and we, you know, thought about it for about three seconds and, and decided if we don't, you know, join the party, we're, we're going we're gonna to be out. So we, we really have, have now learned and discovered that even in an adult use or recreational market, um, there's such a need for, for wellness and, and medicinal products. And a lot of people that are suffering, you know, you may not have cancer or, you know, MLS, but, but you're suffering, you know, you're not sleeping, your, your back's hurting, little things that don't prompt you to go to a doctor and ask for, you know, ask about cannabis. But in adult use markets, people are a lot more likely to pop in, check it out, buy something over the counter. And um, it's super rewarding, you, you know, even if it's just providing a product that helps somebody unwind or sleep better, um, you know, it, you, it make, making people's lives better and changing their lives is, is one of the most rewarding things about the industry. All right. <clears throat> Josh is the CEO of Holistic Industries, and he will be uh, in multiple places on stage at the Benzinga Cannabis Conference next week. Josh, looking forward to it, and uh, have a good one. Likewise. Thanks, All right. guys. All right. Joel, we went past the open, which we used to do back in the old back, days. back in the old days, but we don't do anymore. So it's choppy, man. Yeah. It's choppy out there. Uh, trying to trying to clear 3360, just bumping its head up against there. So keep an eye on that. Uh, can't really get below mid range uh, on the session either. So bulls and bears are battling it out here. Uh, keeping an eye on that 30, that current high, 33.65. All right, I want to thank our guest today, Josh uh, Genderson, Christian Shank, our interview with Ben Lichtenstein and Edward Schmoltz. Thanks to everyone in our chats. You can always email us, and by us, I mean myself, Joel, and Dennis. At the same time, premarket at Benzinga.com. You can also give us a call. Leave us a voicemail, 734-494-0246. As mentioned, the Benzinga Cannabis Capital Conference next week, Monday and Tuesday, in Miami, BenzingaEvents.com. To learn more, promo code PMPVIP for a discount. Please remember all the information from our show is meant to be used as informational purposes only, not for investing or trading advice. 
And now I think we are done for the week. So everyone have a great weekend. We'll be back with you on Monday morning. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.